So your dad was drafted in the Vietnam War, right? He was, yep. He was uh, drafted and sent to Army Base Heck. But he ended up, he got drafted in the end of the Vietnam War. Right, yeah. So by the time he finished basic training and everything, um, in MP school, he was, uh, he had orders for Vietnam, but they'd already started the troop drawdown, and so he got redirected to South Korea instead. So today's story, we're going to talk about somebody that did get sent to Vietnam. Oh, yeah. And... I wouldn't say that your dad was lucky, but he was a lot luckier than this guy. Sure. Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy Rausch. This is a weekly American history podcast where we deep dive into all of the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. So, unless you have any anything to bring up, I think we can just get right into this week's story. You good? <laughs> okay. I'm supposed to have news? Sometimes you have news. Um, Jeremy is very excited that Nickelback is coming to Idaho yeah, soon. So, uh, I was actually th- waiting for him to bring that up. <laughs> thanks, listeners, for uh, not calling in. They're therefore supporting my stance that Nickelback is a pretty awesome band. <laughs> so I might have to get him tickets for Valentine's Day. We'll, um, yeah. s- we'll see. Because be- I love him. <laughs> And you're going to go with and me. And I like to see him happy. Or just one ticket to Nickelback. <laughs> it might just be one ticket to Nickelback. <laughs> hey. hey. <laughs> You'd have fun by yourself. Yeah. You would make friends. I would make friends, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Douglas Hegdahl was born on September 3rd, 1946 in Clark, South Dakota. Clark was a small town, and Douglas wanted to see the world. He once told a reporter that he had never been east of his uncle's Dairy Queen stand in Glenwood, Minnesota, or west of his aunt's house in Phoenix, Arizona. Nice. Which I feel like... That's a, that's a pretty good... Uh, you covered the Midwest. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. It's still a pretty good range. Yeah, some people never make it out of the state. So, even in, you know, especially, what, in the 50s? Mm-hmm. So when a Navy recruiter approached Douglas in 1966, he signed up right away. The recruiter had asked Douglas what it would take to have him sign up, and Douglas replied, Why, I'd like to go to Australia. Douglas was <laughs> sent to boot camp in San Diego and was then placed on, a, on the ship U.S. Canberra, which was named after an Australian cruiser, which is named after Canberra, Australia, which is the oh. capital of Australia. <laughs> so his recruiter didn't lie to him. He made it kind of to Australia. In a roundabout way, he was going to Australia. I feel like that's what military recruiters are like, though. We heard you like Australia, so we're putting you on a ship named after a town in Australia. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it's better to under-promise and over-deliver. Because I guarantee you he didn't say, I'll get you to Australia. Yeah. But he did his darndest. He was like, I'll, g- I'll get you as close as I can. <laughs> well, and to be fair, um, his ship, one of the port calls, uh-huh. was Canberra. Oh, nice. Douglas just never made it there. Oh. Wah, wah. 
So, because instead of heading straight to Australia, the ship, the ship took off for Vietnam. A little background on what was going on in Vietnam at the time, because I feel like I'm not, yeah. yeah, I'm not super familiar about the Vietnam War. Um, it's one of those wars that I feel like gets overlooked a lot. Yeah, it's kind of a blight, I feel like, on yeah. American history, so it's not really commonly talked about. Kind of the thing where, you know, even the Vietnam veterans, they came back and they weren't honored, and if anything, they were shamed and yeah, made to feel bad about and... them, you know, about yeah. their service, and it's one of those wars that I feel like America has tried to forget, because we did not win. We lost the Vietnam War. Debatable. Mm, we lost the <laughs> Vietnam War, mm. so we don't like to talk about I think, it. I think it depends on who you'd ask. In our history podcast, America lost the Vietnam War. <laughs> okay. So, background on the Vietnam War. In the 1950s, the United States started to provide military equipment and advisors to the government of South Vietnam so that they could resist communist North Vietnam because, especially, like, in the 50s, we were all about fighting communism. Right. It was capitalism versus communism. This is the height of the Cold War. Right. Any country that wants to fight communism will give them guns. Yep. That's just kind go. of the rule. Yep. So, because North Vietnam was trying to take over South Vietnam using their troops and using South Vietnam-based troops called the Viet Cong. In 1962, America also began to initiate military air operations within South Vietnam that included offering air support to South Vietnamese fighting forces to destroy Viet Cong bases and spray herbicides like Agent Orange that would kill off the forest cover Viet Cong and North Vietnamese troops were using to hide. Huh. Started with a little air support, and then of course, and then it just we escalates. Can't just dip a toe in the water. <laughs> we got a cannonball on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we already made it this far. Yeah. What would it hurt to go well, a little I mean, bit? We're providing air support. We might as well some dump some tra- Agent Orange on it. You know, ground. What's the difference between you know a few airplanes and you know thousands of ground troops and logistics and supply trains? Exactly. In August of 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson authorized airstrikes against North Vietnam after it was reported that United States warships in the Gulf of Tonkin had been attacked. Later that year, President Johnson also approved bombing raids on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Didn't we just listen to a podcast about the Gulf of Tongan was a CIA operation or something? Yeah, that it actually wasn't a big of deal as they as the United States made it seem like it was, so yeah. that we could yeah. go bomb them. Yeah, yeah. probably really in all reality, it was probably really some some fishermen throwing rocks at a warship. Yeah, because we were in their fishing hole. Yeah. I don't know. America's never done that before, blowing things out of proportion so we can go to war. So, Johnson approves bombing raids on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, and that is a military supply route made up of trails, footpaths, and roads that ran through Laos and Cambodia, connecting North Vietnam to South Vietnam. And North Vietnam would use the Ho Chi Minh Trail to send weapons and supplies and fighting forces to South Vietnam. Because why? Thinking back to the episode that we did about surveying, the shortest distance between two points is, is a straight, straight line. Path. <laughs> and what is Vietnam? A north-south country. It's a big, giant C-shaped, right? Yeah. So, 
So Unfortunately for Laos and Cambodia. Yeah. On February 7, 1965, the Viet Cong launched an attack on a United States Army helicopter facility near Pleiku. The result of the attack was eight U.S. soldiers killed, another 126 wounded, 10 aircraft were destroyed, and 15 more were damaged. In retaliation of the attack, the United States activated Operation Rolling Thunder. Rolling Thunder. <laughs> Operation Rolling Thunder started by bombing the southern portion. Wait, what was the... Uh, when we went into Iraq, what did they call it? Desert Storm? No. Well, no that was... Ooh. Oh, gosh. I can see I can see the, the news footage now of the... Uh, it wasn't Rolling Thunder, but it was, you know... It's like Operation it, Freedom, or... No, it was... It's like the first 24 hours of the operation. Like, Rolling Thunder is like... They're like, yeah, we're bringing the... You know, what comes What comes after Thunder? What comes after Thunder? <laughs> I thought Thunder was the thing that came after. What does it come after? <laughs> thunder comes after Lightning. <laughs> Uh, leave it to me to put that one back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Operation Rolling Thunder started by bombing the southern portion of North Vietnam and gradually grew in intensity and area. By 1966, the United States military was bombing both military and industrial targets in North Vietnam, with the only off-limits being the cities Hanoi, Haiphong, and a 10-mile buffer zone along the Vietnam-Chinese border. So that brings us back to Douglas Hegdahl. So that was our background. So, Douglas is on the U.S. Canberra, headed to Vietnam. The USS Canberra made it to the Gulf of Tonkin in April of 1967 and begins to fire targets at the Vietnamese shore. Douglas's battle station was the aft ammunition handling room for the 5-inch guns that was located deep inside the ship. On April 6th, Douglas woke up around 3.30 a.m. for his 4 a.m. mess duty shift. Douglas locked up all of his valuables in his locker and then decided to step out on the deck before his shift started to get some fresh air and get a better view of the bombardment. It was a violation of protocol to step out on the deck while a bombardment was happening because one of two things could happen if you do that. One, the concussion of the gunfire could blast you over the side of the ship. Or two, you'll go deaf. (laughs) So after making his way to the deck, Douglas Hegdahl then got knocked back from a gun blast and fell overboard. (laughs) Nobody noticed that Hegdahl was no longer on the ship, so Hegdahl just worked on keeping afloat in the South China Sea. Oh my gosh. Douglas removed his boots, tied them together, and hung them around his neck, and then stripped off his pants to make a life jacket. Done that before. Yeah, and your water... What is it? Survival Survival. He couldn't get his pants to inflate, so he put them back on because he was afraid sharks would see his white legs and attack them. <laughs> Douglas had been floating for hours, with no sign of rescue. He had heard that drowning wasn't too bad of a way to die, so he put his hands over his head and he started to sink below the water. He soon realized that drowning sucked and resurfaced. <laughs> yeah. So I think, because, yeah, like, I feel like... The Especially mo- if you're still capable of fighting. Like- yeah. Well, I feel like the movies show it, like, you're just drifting down to the bottom of the ocean, and you just kind of yeah, pass out. Yeah, but in reality, like, your lungs are burning, you're struggling to breathe, because you're still trying to breathe. Mm-hmm. You're sucking in water. 
It's not a fun way to die. I wouldn't know. Well, I wouldn't technically know from experience, but from what I've read and from Douglas's story, don't just try to drown yourself thinking that's the easy way to go. So Douglas rolls onto his back and starts to slowly swim westward, hoping to make it to land. After 12 hours of floating, some Cambodian fishermen found him and pulled him into their boat. The fishermen made their way to the Vietnamese shore, where they promptly turned him over to a North Vietnam militia, where he was clubbed repeatedly with rifles. <laughs> so I was reading that the Cambodian fishermen were so nice to him, and he was like, yes, like, this is awesome, yeah. I found some good guys, and then they're like, here, we found this whitey, and then yeah. they just beat him up. Yeah. Which, obviously, they weren't going to be like, oh, we're going to take you to, <laughs> you know, give away what their plan was. Yeah. Meanwhile, back on the USS Canberra, his fellow shipmates didn't report him missing for two days because they <laughs> thought they were trying to cover for him. Oh, yeah. So when they finally did report him missing, I don't know where they thought he went. I mean, it's a ship. Like, right. did they think he was just passed out somewhere? Yeah. Who knows? So when they finally did report him missing, it was assumed that he fell overboard with no life preserver and he was more than likely dead. So they held a memorial service for him. What? Yeah. Crazy. So everybody just now thinks Douglas is dead. Nobody is looking for him. <laughs> During his memorial service, Douglas was currently being taken to a POW camp named Hoi Lo Prison, also known as Hanoi Hilton. Oh. Yeah. Shortly after arriving at Hanoi Hilton, he was interrogated about how he came to be found floating in the sea. Douglas tried to explain that he was knocked overboard, but the interrogators insisted that he was a CIA agent. They're like, oh, you were knocked overboard? That's yeah. a stupid story. Yeah. You're in the Navy and you mm. fell off a ship. Yeah, like, real believable. Yeah, wouldn't you, wouldn't you know better? Yeah. When it became obvious to Douglas that they didn't believe him and they were going to torture him until he gave up information, he decided that his game plan would be to just act as stupid as possible. So he started to really exaggerate his country bumpkin accent, and he began to compare the land in North Vietnam to his family's farm back in South, da South Dakota. Oh, yeah. He'd be like, oh, this... I don't even... can't even do my country bumpkin accent. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you, know you, did? you give a little effort. These, these gosh darn mountains look like the ones back home in South Dakota. <laughs> He told them all about how his dad had 10 motel units, a bunch of vehicles, and a lot of land. But when he was asked if his dad owned any water buffalo, he answered that they did not have any. So if you lived in Vietnam and if you and you didn't own any water buffalo, that meant you were just a poor peasant. Ah. So Douglas kind of picked up on this, and so he tried to play that angle, just yeah. like, a poor, dumb country hick that yeah. doesn't know anything. Yep. So the North Vietnamese, they start to believe him that he's just a dummy from the middle of nowhere America. And they decided that they could at least have him help with propaganda. Huh. So if they can't torture him for information, they can at least use him as a propaganda tool. Mm -hmm. So they asked Douglas to write an anti-war statement, which he quickly agreed to. Which surprised them, because nobody quickly agreed to writing an anti-war statement. <laughs> so, yeah, he was the first American to agree, agree to that without being tortured first. Wow. They brought Douglas paper, ink, and pens. 
That's when Douglas told them, but one small thing, I can't read or write. I'm a poor pres I'm a poor peasant. Yeah. So, which checked out because most poor peasants in Vietnam couldn't read or write either. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You're, you're a dummy okay. poor peasant. Yeah. Poor peasant. Yeah, you can't read or write. So the captors then assigned a tutor to Douglas. <laughs> to teach him. That would read. teach him penmanship, spelling, and grammar. <laughs> <laughs> the tutor would report back to the interrogators, though, that Douglas was extremely stupid, and no matter how hard the tutor tried, he couldn't teach Douglas anything. Oh my god. So since the tutor wasn't helping, they just wrote out a confession for Douglas to sign that basically said that Douglas admitted to the war crime of shelling the presidential birthplace of Ho Chi Minh as Seaman Apprentice Douglas Brett Hegdall III, United States Navy Reserve Commanding Officer, USS Canberra. So he made sure that they put Commanding Officer on there as like, a, obviously this isn't really me signing this because I wasn't a commanding officer. Yeah. So Douglas just scribbled on the paper for his signature. So <laughs> he also didn't sign it because he went... Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. His captors... After that, didn't really know what to do with him, so they just kind of moved him around wherever there was room at the camp. They're like, oh, hey, there's room in this cell. Put yeah. him in there. Like, it's just Douglas. Yeah. Poor dumb Dougie. <laughs> yeah. So eventually, Douglas was placed into a cell with an Air Force officer named Joe Krekka, and then later met Dick Stratton. Stratton later wrote about his first meeting with Douglas. It was a hot summer day when I first met Doug. I was in solitary confinement again. The communists did not care for me, which was okay because I didn't like them either. My cell door was opened, and here was this big moose standing in his skivvy shorts. Douglas was over six feet tall. <laughs> Stratton later described how the captors would take a nap every afternoon for about two hours. During one of these nap times, Joe was laying on the floor, and Douglas was skipping around the room. When Joe asked Douglas what he was doing, Douglas said, Skipping, sir. When he asked why, Douglas said, you got anything better to do, sir? <laughs> said he didn't, so Douglas just kept skipping. <laughs> so Douglas, I mean, he might not be a total idiot, but he's... <laughs> still a little loopy. <laughs> he's still a little weird. Yeah. And it might have just been another way for him to, like, Pass play the, the or yeah. play the Vietnamese. Yeah. They're like, look at this guy. He's just skipping in his uh, cell. Yeah, what a like weirdo. Yeah. So another day, Douglas asked Stratton if he could teach him the Gettysburg Address. So Stratton got a brick and started to write out the whole Gettysburg Address on the tile floor. Douglas learned the whole thing and could say it by memory, frontwards and backwards. Seeing that Douglas wasn't completely stupid like everyone thought he was, Stratton taught Douglas the names of 256 POWs and Hanoi Hilton along with their rank and a piece of information that could be used to verify the soldier, like a dog's name, kid's name, or social security number. Wow. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I said Stratton taught him that. It was Joe Krekka that taught him all those names. But still. Yeah. Douglas would sing all of this information to the tune of Old MacDonald Has a Farm. And he would sing it over and over until he had memorized every single name of every single American prisoner there at the camp. Wow. Along with a little bit of information about them yeah. that could be used to verify them. Douglas still pretended to be an idiot in front of his captors, and the guards eventually named him the incredibly stupid one. <laughs> when asked what he wanted more than anything in the world, most soldiers would say, I want to go home. Mm -hmm. But Douglas would just ask for a pillow. 
Because they figured he was too dumb to cause much trouble, they would let Douglas out of his cell to go sweep the courtyard while being watched by a guard that would fall asleep pretty often. (laughs) Douglas would hum and sweep until the guard fell asleep, and then he would go to a truck, take off the gas cap, and put a handful of dirt in the gas tank, and then put the cap back on. (laughs) Douglas ended up disabling five trucks in the camp, by just filling up the gas tanks with dirt. <laughs> Which was kind of huge. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. He took out five enemy vehicles. Yeah. With dirt. With dirt. <laughs> <laughs> While sweeping, Douglas would also pass notes between other prisoners. However, since Douglas had left his glasses on the USS Canberra when he locked up all his belongings in his locker, he was having trouble discerning between the isolated cell blocks. Mm. So Douglas went to the guards and told them that he was really interested in reading their propaganda. His captors were, of course, excited that a prisoner voluntarily wanted to read the propaganda (laughs) without being tortured, so they quickly gave him some. Glasses. That's when Douglas told them, small thing, I cannot read without glasses. So they drove Douglas into town and had a store clerk fit Douglas with with several (laughs) glasses until he said that he could see. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So he said that he couldn't see the propaganda because he couldn't read. Mm-hmm. Well, he was nearsighted. He needed glasses for far vision. Yeah. So he actually had the store clerk just fit in with glasses until he could have. Yeah. Yeah. So Douglas used his newfound distance vision to memorize the layout of the prisoner camp. His glasses that the, his Vietnamese <laughs> captors gave drove him. him into town and bought for him. <laughs> The North Vietnamese decided that they would release three POWs as a goodwill. Usually, they were volunteers that had not been tortured very much, as to make a good impression when they were photographed. Even though Douglas did not volunteer to be released, the North Vietnamese figured he was too dumb to give away any Hanoi Hilton secrets, and he hadn't been tortured like many, many others had been. Douglas didn't want to be released. Many of the American soldier prisoners there had made a no-go-home-early pact, where they all agreed that they would all go home together or not at all. The guards would give Douglas big bowls of potatoes and canned meat to try to get him to gain weight before he was released, but he refused to eat the food if the other prisoners weren't getting it. Stratton had to convince Douglas that because he knew all of the names and the layout of the camp, that he needed to be released so he could help them all get out eventually. On August 5, 1969, Douglas Hegdahl was released along with Navy Lieutenant Robert Frischman and Air Force Captain Wesley Rumble. Ah, uh, yes, two officers. Yes. <laughs> and Doug. <laughs> these, these two are worthless. And then there's Dummy Doug. <laughs> At a press conference immediately after leaving North Vietnam, the released POWs told the press that their food housing, and medical treatment had been adequate and that the relatives of the Americans left behind in North Vietnamese camps had nothing to worry about. However, as soon as he could, Douglas Hegdahl recited the 256 names that he had memorized. This was huge because the North Vietnamese didn't release the names of the POWs, so families didn't know if their soldier was dead or a prisoner. One of those names was John McCain. What? Yeah. A month after arriving back in the United States, Douglas Hegdahl and Lieutenant Frischman held another press conference where they told a much different story than they had told before. They told the press how the North Vietnamese had tortured other prisoners by pulling out their fingernails, 
tying their hands to the ceilings, or tying them up to a stool and leaving them in an extremely hot hut. Mm-hmm. I just, thinking about pulling fingernails out yeah. gives me yeah. heebie-jeebies. Makes your skin crawl. Yeah. Frischman also explained that the prisoners were denied medical attention when they needed it, and many of the prisoners were kept in solitary confinement. Ross Perot, then a 40-year-old billionaire from Texas that had made his fortune from selling computer data processing systems, not yet a presidential candidate, took up the cause of American POWs. Ross Perot called up Douglas Hegdahl and told him, You're coming with me to Paris to confront the North Vietnamese peace talk delegation about the POWs at Hanoi Hilton. In Paris, the U.S. was holding secret negotiations with North Vietnam about ending the war, and Perot wanted Douglas there to make sure they released POWs once the war was over. During one meeting, a representative from Hanoi said, Our policy is very humane in the camps, which prompted Douglas to say, Look, I was there. And that shut the Hanoi representative down. He's like, mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. I was there. I know yeah. what I saw. You were so full of it. Yeah. Yeah. You made my butt. Yeah. The United States Congress unanimously passed a resolution accusing North Vietnam of violating the Geneva Convention shortly thereafter. On January 27, 1973, America agreed to a ceasefire with North Vietnam and the withdrawal of American forces from South Vietnam for the release of 600 American prisoners of war within 60 days of the removal of U.S. troops. The first group of POWs were flown home from Vietnam on February 12, 1973, and the last group came home on March 29, 1973 bringing a total number of American POWs returned to the United States to 591. This was known as Operation Homecoming. After the last group came home, the United States still had 1,350 Americans listed as prisoners of war or missing in action, and 1,200 Americans reported as killed in action, but their bodies hadn't been recovered. As of November 2015, The Department of Defense reported that there are still 516 unaccounted for U.S. Army personnel from the Vietnam War. Wow, that's a lot. Because that's what, almost 50 years later? Yeah. You know? And you still haven't accounted for 20 20 or 30% of that, the original number? Yeah. I mean, that's still pretty impressive that they've identified that many. Yeah, it is. But still... Douglas Hegdahl was honorably discharged from the U.S. Navy on July 1, 1970, as a petty officer, second class, and then became an instructor at the U.S. Navy's Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape, or SEER school, in San Diego. Douglas Hegdahl is still alive today. That's awesome. Yeah. So talking about the recovering uh, uh, missing POW MIAs from Vietnam. There's a nonprofit organization out there that uh, they they specifically look for downed aircraft. Mm-hmm. So Project Recover is a is a nonprofit organization that specializes in recovery of downed aircraft. So they basically use last known information to try and triangulate and identify uh, historic uh, uh, warplane crashes. To go in and recover the, the the planes, but also any bodies that might be still with the recovery or at the wreckage site. 
it's pretty cool. Kind of they they go. It seems a couple times a year, you know, just to places abroad to look for uh, downed aircraft. So cool. Well, I will get a link from you, and we'll put that in the show notes so people can check it out. Check that out. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, because um, I just said that Douglas Hegdahl was an instructor That's afterwards at the SEER school. Do you want to kind of explain to people what SEER school is? So SEER stands for Survive, Escape, or Survive, Evade, Resist, Escape. Yes. So um, basically it's just, a, I, I've never been. Um, uh, you have to, there's only certain positions that they'll actually send you to the SEER school and Right. National Guard isn't one of them. <laughs> Anyways, but uh, yeah, it's just a school that specializes in, in, in how to act as a POW um, if that happens. But obviously, they also try and teach you survival and evading techniques. Yeah. I don't know. I've heard lots of rumors about it. I've heard, you know, you get you get treated pretty rough just to kind of simulate as best as possible the conditions you could potentially face. Right. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, he'd be a good person. Yeah. I imagine he's yeah, a very yeah. good person. Imagine well, to be like, instructor for that. And you were talking about the skipping thing. I think one of those things that you're just supposed to kind of always remember your purpose, you know? And so, like, the skipping thing was, like, his way of trying to stay upbeat, like, by being physically happy. Yeah. Doing, doing a, an act that people associate with being happy. Yeah. Probably helped his morale quite a bit. I, I mean, can see that. I feel like, you know, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to skip even if I'm not in the mood to skip because if I just lay down in the dirt, I'm just going to kind of like st- become defeated yeah. within myself. Right. It's just like, you know, if you force yourself to smile during the day, then pretty soon it'll just be a natural smile because you'll be, you know, just exuding that, that happiness and confidence. So. Right. So, Douglas Hegdahl, an American hero. Absolutely. I just want to know how he memorized the Gettysburg Address and then all of those names and that information. I mean, obviously, he probably had a lot of time, but... Yeah. <laughs> I know. I kind I of want barely, to know can... what his, how the song went, like... Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Lieutenant mm-hmm. Dan had a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yo. <laughs> His name was And that Bill. dog's name was Bob. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> and a January 3rd and a 1956. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> E-I-E-I-O. Well, he's... I mean, he probably didn't... He probably got rid of all of the actual lyrics. He didn't add E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> Otherwise, it would have been an extremely long song. So long. He's like rec- he's like, like reciting it to the people once he gets the CIA. Once he gets safe, and he's yeah. like, "Okay, bear with me." Bear with me. It's a long one. <laughs> and he just starts singing. They're like, "Can you not sing it?" He's like, "That's not how it works." <laughs> yeah, it's not. That's the only way I can recall. This, yeah. Four hours later. But all right, I should probably read my sources for this episode. My sources are. Douglas Brett Hegdahl from the POW Network. Lest we forget, Douglas Hegdahl by Lieutenant Commander Thomas J. Cutler. Meet the Hero, Douglas Hegdahl by the Lowell Milken Center for Unsung Heroes. Seaman Apprentice, Douglas Hegdahl by Beth Ann Kelly Patrick. 
How Vietnam War POW Doug Hagdahl Tricked His Captors by Playing the Fool by Shahan Russell. Operation Rolling Thunder by History.com. The Incredibly Stupid One at the Hanoi Hotel by Dick Beak Stratton. If you would like to follow us on social media so you can see what we're up to, we are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Please rate, review, and subscribe us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio, <laughs> CastBox. It really helps us be found so more people can hear us. Also, tell your friends about us. If, if you want, we've got stickers located in our merch store. Yes, if you go to americathebizarre.com, we have some merch there, like stickers. We also have shirts, sweatshirts, joggers, a few cool things. If you would like to support this podcast so we can get better equipment and start putting out more episodes, including bonus episodes, please go to patreon.com and search for America the Bazaar. I'll also put that link in the show notes down below. Anything else you can think of before we say... That's all I've got for tonight. All right. Until next time, stay stay weird, weird, America. America.